Colossians, and it's the whole of the first chapter. You might like to follow it. Page 197 in the Church Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before, oh, sorry, you've heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we've not ceased praying for you, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very good evening, Joel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, thank you for this place, thank you for the privilege of having open Bibles before us. We pray by your goodness and love you'd open our hearts to the things of the Spirit, that Jesus Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for now. Just do keep your Bibles open, page 197 or thereabouts. Turn your eyes on Jesus Look full in his wonderful face and the things of life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As a very young boy, aged three or four, and on through the years at Sunday school at the church I attended in Reading with my parents, I can still remember my Sunday school teacher who was a dear single lady and each time she mentioned the word Jesus, it wasn't affected or put on, but I sensed even then as a young child that he meant something to her. And as I knew and grew to love this congregation who introduced me to Christ, uh, the way she said the word Christ or Jesus never, never changed. It was clearly an integral part of her personality came out through her pause, came out through her voice. As I speak of dear Joyce Mundy now, I can even hear the way she expressed his name. I can see her beautiful face. She's with the Lord now, 
and I thank God for her, as every child at Holiday Club will have done this week, for the presence and prayers of many of God's people here. So why introduce uh, Christ in this way, our precious Lord Jesus? We've looked at Colossians. Thank you again for that reading. The whole of chapter 1 is all about Jesus. And you have to ask the question, well, why is Paul writing to the church at Colossae in such warm, generous tones about what he appreciates about them, how they've come to know Christ? Simply put, uh, Jesus had fallen out of place in their lives. There are many PhDs to be written on exactly what was going on in terms of the Colossian heresy, and if you've got a definitive answer, I can tell you definitively that they're wrong because no one's got the answer. But Jesus was out of place. The exact nature of how he was out of place is not crystal clear. It makes the whole puzzle, as it were, even more intriguing. But what's very well worth noting is this letter is undisputedly written some 60 years after Christ. So in other words, he was born A.D. 0, and this was written A.D. 30. Why, therefore, is a question for us this evening. After 30 years, have things gone so badly wrong? You could say to me, within the first few years of the development and the expansion of the early church, some of the followers of Christ had actually met the risen Jesus. They'd seen him, they'd heard him, and the Spirit had come and the church was growing. Why, after 30 years, had they taken their eye off the ball? In my London days, I was invited as a relatively young and inexperienced evangelist to speak to a large gathering of an evening service congregation, well over two, three hundred, and to preach the gospel, go for a response and see what would happen. That was my job back in the day. And what was curious, I mean, there was a healthy response. I didn't hear from that church uh, in the next ten years. Curiously, I was invited back, not by the vicar who invited me, or by the vicar in the middle, but by the new vicar. No word of a lie, there would be less people present in the evening congregation than there are this evening. Heartbreaking stuff, probably 10 or 20 people present. Had a chat with the vicar afterwards and say, what's gone wrong? Well, the vicar in the middle slightly lost the plot and everyone went. Do pray for vicars in the Church of England. Um, but something had gone wrong even in 10 years but let's not chide ourselves back in the day 30 years after the presence of Christ with the full octane of the Holy Spirit and the apostles of Jesus 30 years after that still things were going wrong had a spot of bother taking the dogs out for the afternoon walk she didn't want to come first time in a long time I'd already been under instructions, now we've got two dogs, not to ignore the first dog. So this was bonding time with dog number one. Off the lead he trots. And then something came back to me that I wouldn't have noticed had the two of them had been together. Every 30 seconds or every minute, or certainly every two minutes, the dear dog, Bentley is his name, worship Jesus, obey your wife, but remember Bentley, okay? <laughs> Bentley looked back to see if I was still following him. 
What a wonderful, loyal friend, just looking back. No click. What are you doing? Every now and again, he just turns. He's happy, playing with life. No little puppy to annoy him. He's having a great time, but what he does every 30 seconds, every minute, every two minutes, he looks back to see where his boss is. (laughs) Because he loves me. I give him his food. I take him for his walks. Tickle his chin. What a great dog. He just... Something in him just makes him want to look back. That's what wasn't happening here. I don't know what happened, whether it was at 30 years, well, someone's clicked their fingers, let's off down the road, or whether it was five years or ten years or whatever it was. But Jesus had somehow gone out the window and the Colossians who Paul loved... I'm praying for you. I've seen the Spirit in you. I know how you became a Christian through lovely Epaphras. But actually, I just need to... I'm not going to tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. I'm just going to spell out the wonders and the glory of Christ. We're happily looking at these six acts that spread through the Scriptures. Simon rehearsed them. Creation helped me. There's uh, Israel, the fall. Yeah, we must remember the fall. And then we've got Israel, we've got Jesus, the church, and then a couple of weeks' time on, on the new creation in heaven. Of course, as we'll see in a moment, Christ and all he is was a defining moment in the history of the world. But I bet you, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, if you mention any book of the Bible, all 66, mention one or two or three, and I'm fairly certain I could indicate to you where Christ is in that particular book. Leviticus, his holiness. Esther, God is not mentioned. It's because Christ is watching over us all the time and does not need to be mentioned. Deuteronomy, Christ fulfills every aspect of every law of God that there is. It's every vicar's nightmare to be in a trivial pursuits question in a pub. People look at you when the religious one comes up and you break into a cold sweat and panic. And I wasn't paying attention, but I'm pretty sure if you ask me any book of the Bible, I could tell you where Christ was in it. Of course, Christ is there, and particularly so in Colossians. Two S's this evening just to unlock something of what Christ was spoken about by Paul to those early believers in the church in Colossae. And just like the dear dog who looks at the vicar when he takes him out for a walk, maybe we'll be inspired to look once again at Christ and his glory and grace. First of all then, the supremacy of Christ. A detailed look, if you will, at chapter 1, verse 17. He himself is before all things... And in him all things hold together. He is before all things. In other words, it's a reference to time. I'm sure some of the theologues here might know the definitive work by Oscar Kuhlman called Christ and Time. And he makes it very clear that the illustrations, the metaphors, the analogy we have for Christ 
are an actual historical happening. It's not a surface level thing to think about or what does this do to you now in this moment that you can encounter Christ but some definitive historical action took place when Christ came into the world. He was born, he died and he rose again. Those are historical Facts, But notice again, verse 17, he himself is before all things in time. One of the greatest theological statements to my mind is Donald Bailey who said that there was a cross in the heart of God ever before there was one on Calvary's tree. It's the supremacy of Christ. It's the pre-existence of Christ. Because A.D., 33, there was a cross, does not mean that God was not loving from all eternity and Christ himself was there. What are we to do with the next part of verse 17? He himself is before all things, before all time, even though he came into time. In him all things hold together. Often a verse I might use if I'm helping someone with a problem or helping a relational difficulty or a household in trouble or a church in trouble or, dare I say, a denomination in trouble. In him, all things hold together. All things hold together. But the exact nature of all things is not just human relationships. It's the microscopic, granular details of everything that makes you, you, you might not have seen this, but apparently the race is on to find the fifth force of nature. You might not be able to tell me the first four. Uh, when I read about this, I thought, I know who the fifth force of nature is. You don't need to do a scientific experiment. It's my dearly parted mother-in-law. <laughs> but apparently you take a particle accelerator get microscopic particles smaller than a neutron or whatever's inside a neutron that I can't even pronounce, buzz it round a huge great area at 10,000 times the speed of light, crash them into each other and predict what's going to happen and apparently something is veering off course and they can't predict exactly what's going to happen. There's something else going on that we can't know, that we can't predict. One scientific community in one part of the world is conducting the experiment, and within two years, apparently, if they're going to beat the other team, they would discover, probably, what we don't know is the fifth force of nature. In, the, in him, all things hold together the quest and the race for certainty. Please be reassured, there's a lot we don't know. And even when we do know it, there'll be even more things that we don't know. But what you will find there is Christ himself. In, in him, all things hold together. He's before all time, he's in all time, and he's in the parts of things that no one has yet discovered. What's it been said that if you stop learning, you stop living? We've more of Christ to know, we've more of life to discover, and in him 
all those things will preciously hold together. I need to be careful how I explain this bit because I can't be too definitive, but I'm glad Simon referred uh, unannounced in conversation to the creed, for it speaks of Christ ascending into heaven, but what does he do before he ascends into heaven other than descend to the dead? Some creeds actually have it, and I was checking this up in First Peter, that Christ actually descends into hell. Where might you not expect to find Christ? Hopefully he's here this evening. He was there before the world was made. He's there within each microscopic detail of every atom that we've yet to discover. And so Christians believe before his ascension into heaven, he descended to the dead. And some even would believe he tasted hell. There's no part... There's nothing in life that Christ has not encountered himself and therefore can't transform with the power of God's resurrection. The supremacy of Christ. Do you see what Paul is trying to do? Don't go chasing after other things. Do like the dog does. Keep its eye on its master and think of Jesus. There's no one bigger. There's no one better Anything else potentially will be a fad or a fancy, will keep you away from church, and is certainly not going to make you happy. The next point is from chapter 1, verse 27. It's the sufficiency of Christ. And perhaps I want to say that this order is so important. Unless Christ is supreme, unless we acknowledge him as being the number one, we're never going to really discover for ourselves what it means for us that Christ is sufficient. So let me read verse 27 of chapter 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the sufficiency of Christ Christ is not in the atoms. Christ is not before the beginning of time. Christ is not the great unknown one. Christ is in you. And because he's in you, he's the hope of glory. Many Christians find Christ to be sufficient. At the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, May God, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Jesus Christ. Paul loves the Colossian church. He knew them. He knew their prayers. He knew their families. He knew what, knew what was going on. And towards the end of the writing, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he speaks about things at work, things at home, things in the relationships. And he says, if you want these things to go well, then you'll need to discover that Christ is sufficient for all these things. But you will only ever do that if you discover Christ is supreme and put him first of all. Perhaps it goes back to the greatest uh, folly of a Christian community or a Christian believer. Always reflect on what Christ has done for you rather than be kidded along into thinking, well, what can I somehow do for Christ to make amends or to atone 
or to somehow make things better. If Christ is this big, then reflect on what he's done for you and you'll discover, as Paul said to the Philippian church, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Having said uh, we don't exactly know what's going on in the Colossian church, there are indications. Chapter 1, verse 6, notice this phrase, uh, you've, the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. In other words, it could be that Paul says, well, you've, you've some idea about the grace of God, you, you know the grace of God, but then he's wanting to underline it and says, but now you truly understand the grace of God. And notice in chapter 1, verse 18, uh, after the verse we've spoken of in verse 17, Christ might be to have the first place in everything so that he might come to have first place in everything. So friends, this evening, may we rejoice in the supremacy of Christ greater than everything the world has ever known or ever will do. He's the one who's been to places that we can't even imagine. And so our own lives, for all we're facing, will be safe under the supremacy of this great Jesus. Only then will we discover for ourselves his sufficient for all our needs in life. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of life will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me lead you in a prayer. Father, we pray together as a company of your people as we intercede a little bit later on that your spirit would enable this to spiritually happen for each person here. Grant us daily grace. Grant us a continued vision of your glory to recognize your supremacy and to enjoy your sufficiency through all of life.